Welcome to Capital Stories. It's Eric and Tara. And in this podcast, we talk to real people about real issues and explore intersections of life and faith to encourage you in your personal walk with Jesus. We're back at you this week with part two of a series that explores the topic of issues faced by vulnerable children and families. If you missed our last episode on November 1st, be sure to give that a listen before we dive in today. Today, we're talking more with Amy King. We are, yeah. And do dive back there so you can get informed and, and kind of educated on yeah. this topic we don't always think a lot about. We right. don't have orphanages everywhere, right. but there are a lot, a lot more than we think right. of vulnerable children and families in our yeah. community. And Amy has been at the forefront right. of that of that space. She founded For the Orphan Network and is a, a local missionary and her ministry area. is to totally. serve this population of people and she has a really powerful story of what led her yeah. to dedicating so much of her life to serving vulnerable children and families and the experiences that that drove her to yeah to dedicate her whole life yeah. as a missionary to, to it here yeah. and we're certainly grateful for it yeah in we're excited Utah, to so. shed some light on her and her work right. so here's amy again on capital stories we're back with Amy again. I'm excited. Yay, Amy. <laughs> Welcome Tara, back. Yes, Thank you. I'm, so we dug into the issue of vulnerable children, vulnerable families in the last episode. And there's just so much more to your story personally that we can dig into as well that I think informs a lot of your passion behind this work and I think is really interesting. So uh, I'm excited to hear more about that today. Start with where where do you see as the kind of beginning of Amy King's journey into working with oh gosh <laughs> what's what are some of those well, you know, signposts that God used in your life to to bring you here Yeah, it's interesting because I've all, I kind of always say um, you know as, even as a little girl I had this um, interest in adoption. I remember there was a family at my church who adopted these two little twin girls and it just fascinated me. Like I just thought, gosh, those kids must be so special. You know, it was just this, I don't know, I, I can't really describe it. It was just a thing that I just, you know, and I when I would hear about other adoptions and stuff, I just thought it was a super special thing to the point where it, it was kind of like, I'm going to adopt all my kids someday. You know, it was this, very much this feeling like, well, if there are kids out there that don't have homes, then why do I need to have kids when there are kids that are already out there that need homes? I'm just going to adopt all my kids. So that was really kind of the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes God is like a supernatural highlighter. Yeah. You know, these things happen in our life. Like certain yeah. things are like yellowed, yeah. you know, yeah. when you look back on yeah. your life. He's like, you just, yeah. just highlighted that. Yeah. yeah. So I always knew that I would adopt, you know, if I'm going to have kids someday, I'm going to adopt them. But then it was never really more than that, you know, grow, continuing to grow up. And I was kind of always one of those kids. And even as a teenager, um, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, you know, for a profession. Um, didn't have that one thing I wanted to do. And so when I got into college, I bounced around just about every major <laughs> that there is. Well, that's okay, college kids <laughs> out there. Totally fine. Totally fine. There was never any connection of like this, you know, passion or this heart that I had for vulnerable kids. I don't even probably think I knew that it was like a profession or quote unquote, something that I get it get, you know, do. So I bounced around lots of different majors. And um, I had started working for my church um, part time just doing admin. And then they had asked me, would you be interested in full time working as a producer for our Sunday service? 
and I'm kind of artsy. And, and so it was very intriguing to me. And I said, yes. And then I also, so I walked into my advisor's call office at college and I said, here's all my credits. Tell me how I can get out here the quickest. So we made a plan and I was out and working full time at my church in Michigan. And then, I mean, it's, I, I've heard that Russia's involved in your yes, story. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so, connect the dots yep, to like So working at this church in. in Michigan that has a huge heart for church planting, a whole other story in itself, um, I ended up being a part of a team of about 30 people who moved from Michigan out to Salt Lake City, Utah um, in 2003 to help plant a church here. And so that's kind of how I ended up out here. And then I was continuing doing what I was doing, um, continuing to be the service producer for, you know, our stuff out here. But it's kind of interesting before that, when I was kind of, I'll go back the year or so before everything with this church plant came up back in Michigan, God was really starting to speak to me about orphans. And when I say speak to me, it was more just like nothing specific, but just nudges. I'd never really dug in and just read or did any research. So I started just reading, getting online and reading articles about orphans. Um, and for whatever reason, I was just, I was reading a lot of stuff about Eastern Europe and particularly for, for Russia, about the conditions over there. Um, you know, at that time, I found out, I learned that worldwide at that time there was like 137 million orphans and i just remember thinking i remember reading that number and thinking oh well there's nothing Uh, that i can do you know it was just a very it kind of felt very defeating hearing a huge number like that i was just like there's nothing i can do okay just press pause on that yeah sure yeah just to again be kind of that highlighter Mm -hmm. of God initiates, creates, oh, yeah. and initiates. And we can think, where did these thoughts come from? And remember, they didn't come from nowhere. Right. You know, that's wrong yeah. grammar, right? right? Did well, I yeah. say that right? They didn't, didn't come, come from nowhere. They, yeah. they, they came from somewhere. I follow. I follow. <laughs> <laughs> they, that, was a, that was a creation and an initiation of God, the Holy Spirit working through yeah. us. Why am I looking up about orphans, orphans in, in Eastern yeah. Europe? Exactly. They're and even continuing after random. you find out that it's so defeating that Amy King alone cannot solve this issue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're but still, there's the thing that's not still, from God. Yeah. Right. That's sure. Yeah. That's this. true. Yeah. That's true. And then thinking, wait a minute. So I think that's just an, an encouragement and an inspiration to me to think that 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 thing that's in my head that I'm curious about that I'm inspired by, that I'm like spending a little bit of my time to say this injustice or this issue or this person is just in my head to just take take a step and act on it in some way. So yeah. continue. Yeah. It's just, I wanted to <laughs> yeah. No, that's yeah. draw really, some yellow over that puppy. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and so I think I probably at that time kind of would have continued down the rabbit hole of more investigating if the church planting stuff hadn't come up. For anyone who's been a part of a church plant knows that it, you know, takes just about everything out of you. And so we were in Michigan for a year planning and then moved here. And then we were here for a year planning before we launched. And then we launched and the church took off and um, quicker than we had planned. And so we were felt like we were always playing catch up. So it was just, a, that was the focus for so long. And then it kind of came back, the orphan stuff. <laughs> and it came back really strong this time. 
So again, just doing some more reading. Um, and then I was standing in a bookstore. Um, there used to be, for those of you who are local, there was a Lifeway bookstore in Sugar House, a little Lifeway. Um, it's now Sugar House Barbecue. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I know the place. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> but um, and I love books, and so I just love you know going into bookstores and just perusing and stuff. And so I was just in there one day, and the spine of this book caught my eye, and it was called Fields of the Fatherless. Mm. And I grabbed it, and I opened it up, and I started reading it, and this guy who had written it was like speaking my language, like my heart. I was, and it was the first time that, because as this was going on, as God was stirring in my heart for orphans, I would tell different people and they would kind of like, oh, that's great. But I didn't really find anybody who kind of really understood. Um, and then sometimes I th- felt like the crazy person. even. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I was reading this book and I'm like, this guy understands me and the crazy thing about it was he was talking about the orphan care that he had done in russia and so i think i read like half of the book just standing there (laughs) and then i was like oh maybe i should buy this this (laughs) this is tom davis yes yes so so picked up the book um bought it probably i'm sure i finished it you know that day and i was just like i have to talk to this guy and so I just flipped to the the author, and so I just flipped to the back of the book. It was a guy named Tom Davis. Um, said he worked for an organization called Children's Hope Chest in Colorado. So I'm pretty bold, and so I just called up Children's Hope Chest and asked to talk to the, Tom, to the president. <laughs> Can you please speak to the president of the organization? And because <laughs> why wouldn't he want to talk to some random right. girl? Calling like I get Utah. you, and you get me, right. and you don't know me, yeah. but you definitely have time yeah. to talk to me. But we got on the phone, and it was like you know we couldn't stop talking, and I was just sharing my heart and what happened, and. By the end of that conversation, I had committed to going on a trip with him. That's this was in this was in the spring, and he, and he was like, "Well, in the fall, um, I'm going to be just taking kind of like a you know trip over there for just people who are maybe interested in the ministry to see kind of what's going on, kind of a vision trip, a lot of places will call it." And the interesting thing is, again, kind of peddling back, you know, during this time, even before I found that book, I would be like laying in bed at night and like thinking about these kids and asking God, like, what, what do you want me to do? Like, I wanted, I wanted a roadmap. Like I, you know, I wanted it to be like writing on the wall. This is what you're supposed to do. And I just, of course we do. Yeah. (laughs) And I just, I wasn't getting anything, you know, but finally I, and I can't remember where it was in context of finding this book, but it was all around the same time. I just felt like God was just saying, I just want you to go to Russia just go and see these kids that you've been laying at night. I mean, sometimes, I mean, this sounds crazy. I would lay awake like all night. <laughs> you know, I remember even one time getting out of my, getting out of bed and just like sobbing and like getting on my knees and going, God, what do you want? I will do whatever you want. I will move to Russia. I don't know. I just want to know what it is that you want. And again, it, it wasn't writing on the wall. Well, I guess the writing on the wall was this feeling of I'm just supposed to go. So when Tom had mentioned, you know, going on a trip with them, it was like, sign me up. <laughs> you know, I'd, I had already gotten that confirmation. I was like, I don't have to pray about this. I've been praying about this type of thing. And so, yeah. And so that fall, it was fall of 2005. I, myself and Tom and three other people um, went over to Russia for two weeks 
And we just went from one orphanage to the next to the next. And God just destroyed my heart while I was over there. Um, to the point where we were there for two weeks. I remember thinking after the first week, like, I don't think I can do another week of this. I mean, I knew I had to, but that was the feeling of, I don't know, I don't think I can do this for another week. The overwhelming, you know, and for us in America, you know, in the last podcast, we talked a little bit about, you know, does America have orphanages? And we talked about the foster care system. And so the to us, I think in America, orphanage is such a, you know, out there concept, you know, we think of like little orphan Annie or, you know, orphanages, it, you know, we, we kind of know they're out there, but until you're like standing in one, you're like, I cannot believe this exists, still exists. It's, you know, at that point it's like 2005. I'm like, how I'm standing in this orphanage and there's a hundred kids in here. Right. None of them have, pa- well, they do, a lot of them have parents, but you know, they're living in this orphanage. How, how does this still exist? And this is so unjust. Like I, I have a pretty high meter for justice. You have and an itchy just, justice book. Yes, that's what I like. And to I call was it. just like, this is so. <laughs> it's itchy. Yeah, yeah. I'm like this is just so wrong. Yeah. And so I, that trip was interesting. I was excited, happy, mad at God, <laughs> sad. So many emotions during that yeah. during that trip. But one of the things that always I, I felt like when we would go to an orphanage, I would always kind of have this moment. Maybe there was a kid by. And I would just think, like, what if that was me? Or I'm, and I'm not a parent, but or what if that was my kid? Like, if I couldn't take care of my child, how badly would I want somebody to be a voice for me and to to go back or to go to wherever I live in my community and go? Do you know that this exists? And here's how we can help. Like, how badly would you want that as a child? For somebody to give you, a, to, for somebody else to be your voice, because you can't, you don't have a voice, you know, as a child in this orphanage, you need other people. And how badly would you want that? Or again, if that was, I, you know, I can't imagine, I feel like I, I'm, I feel like I have a mother's heart. I don't have kids, but I feel like I have a mother's heart. And I just would look at those kids and think, oh my gosh, if I was in a situation where I couldn't take care of my children, how badly would I want somebody else to to know that my child needs help? Yeah, mm. I want to linger on this for a second because in the last interview, you also talked about this mandate in James, right, yeah. to care for the orphans, and that's that's a, a biblical mandate. And you know, we're all reading the same Bible, and yeah. everyone, other people who read that passage might gloss over it without feeling this conviction that you clearly felt in that orphanage and continue to feel. Yeah. What 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 is that? What is that for you? That uh, I'm just curious to like dig into that conviction yeah. that you're feeling that um, has led to you know, your professional, right? <laughs> your, your, it's all the work so you do. hard to explain, but I think once I, you know, I knew before I went, I, kn- I knew that verse, the James one twenty seven verse. Um, but I think just being there made it come alive, um, and I think also, in some ways, the gospel became alive to me for the first time. I mean, I knew the gospel, you know, I was raised in a church. You had planted a church. Yes. I had helped (laughs) put a part of planting a church, but it was weird. It was like for the first time I felt like I, maybe it wasn't that I understood the gospel for the first time, but I understood it in a new way. In all of the verses about, you know, God being a father to the fatherless and just, you know, and I would think about again with James 1 27, I would just on that trip I would often think about 
you know, of all the things that God could have used to to compare and say this is what true religion is, you know, or true some translations are true worship is this. Of all the things he could have used to compare it to, why did he choose caring for orphans and for widows? And I thought it just it has to be all connected back to the gospel, right? Yeah. I, you know, I had a similar experience that you had with kind of the book that you went, <gasps> and for me, that was The Hole in Our Gospel by Rich Stearns. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember reading, I mean, it was just like decade, you know, whatever, like 13 years ago, and reading that book and just devouring it. And it was like the gospel came alive. God's heart for the mar- marginalized people, you know, just came alive and thinking, what? The statistics are so overwhelming. Mm. What do you do? Yeah. And feeling the defeat of that, like you Mm. said, but then just taking a step. And for me, it was, I started a little small group here Mm. that That people want to talk about this topic and realizing that there are people for whom discipleship and the experience and the encounter and the face and the heart of God come through that space. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And creating opportunity or taking a step or creating an opportunity to to step through it yourself or for somebody else to step through and continue to kind of see what God has. And I want to just make one other generalized point here, Eric, that to, as an encouragement for listeners who have a thought about something, right? But they're at a stage of life that they they see meaning in that. They see purpose in that. They feel God in that. But they're like, I, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do about that thing right now. To be encouraged at the faithfulness of God that when the time comes, He'll show you the door to walk through. And it might not be in six months. It might not be in two years. It might be after the church is planted, right? Or right, after the things, right. or whatever it is. But He'll he, he won't let it go. Yeah. He won't let it just fade away in your head. This burning desire you have that He's given you, right? It'll 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 be okay. It'll come back. He'll. He's not going to just, just sort of let that float away. And is planning and orchestrating the way he wants you to demonstrate your faith in Jesus Christ and being those hands and feet of Jesus Christ when the time comes. Yeah, it's definitely a. I think for most people, things like that are a process. Obviously, and to trust the process. Yes, and I think thing there. I I definitely I know thing. There are things that happen automatically. You know, God will heal people automatically, or different things <laughs> yes. happen automatically. But at least from my experience, most people's journey with things like this, um, it's it's a process. Yeah, it's evident over the years. Not and it takes some patience yeah. and some trust mm-hmm. and taking one step and realizing, well, that's the one step I'm going to take, and it might be another couple of years until the yeah. next step and you is can't, you can't jump from a to z you know right away like you, you need all those those things in between you know i because even i think you know from that first trip i took in 2005 to the time when i actually started doing full-time ministry in this area it was six years so over yeah. those six years god was doing a lot in me to get me to the point of I think I'm supposed to be in this space full time. And had I not had those six, I mean, those six years were so important, you know? And in those six years, I'm doing mm-hmm. this Bible study and it, it, it drew this interesting point about um, that, of course, God wants intimate 
relationship with us. And God speaks. He speaks through the Bible He, you know, and the scriptures. He speaks through circumstances. The Holy Spirit speaks through us. But it's, it's because we are continuing to pursue a love relationship with Him. And mm-hmm. during those six years, while it might not have looked like it was in the space that you maybe felt called toward in, toward in some way, you are staying in an intimate, intimate love relationship with God where He was going to speak through the Bible and, and Scripture, through circumstances, through other people, and that you would be ready to hear that voice while during that time. That's, that's our responsibility. That's what we bring to the table. And, and wait when he says, go. And he says, look at the binder in this book. Highlighted. Make the phone call to yeah. the... <laughs> It's the president of this organization. <laughs> I'm Amy, and we're gonna be friends. You know, I think back and on that. Actually, and that we're gonna go to Russia together right. and go to the orphanages. Okay, and then obviously that took on a whole new profession for you, and you started for the orphan network. That was gonna be your job that you would have to raise money to pay yourself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Tell yeah, us tell more us about, about the next okay. steps of this. Yeah. So. so, anyways, so I got home from that trip in Russia, and I just couldn't stop talking. Obviously, about what I had seen. Like, I just wanted again. It's that that feeling that I had of everyone needs to know about what I saw. You know, I think I can't remember. There's a great song. I wish I could remember who it was by. Um, but there's a line that says, "Now that I've seen, I'm responsible." Um, and that was. Just live, really living in my heart, and again, I hadn't. I'd really gone over there for myself in this journey that I was taking. Um, but I was on staff at our church, and so obviously my church and people I worked with and the board and stuff knew that God had been speaking to me in this area, and that I'd taken this trip. And so when I came back, they wanted to find out about, about yeah. the trip. And so through our discussions, they felt like um, that you know God was doing something in me. Um, that this was a really quality organization, let's partner with this organization. Um, And so we ended up um, sponsoring two orphanages that I had visited Mm -hmm. over in Russia. That must have made you so happy. Yes. Well, yeah. yeah, And there's a whole other podcast in there about a little boy that I met while Mm -hmm. I was over there. He was seven Mm -hmm. and he's now 23 and I'm Mm -hmm. still in touch with him. But yeah, so we sponsored these two orphanages which kind of entailed each child would have a sponsor, kind of like a Compassion International type of thing. And then we would commit to going over once or twice a year to do camp with the kids. And so we started oh. taking these trips over. And it was just such an amazing, beautiful, sweet time for so many people on the trip. In fact, a girl actually just posted a picture from our very first trip over there of of the team and just looking at those people and that first experience of, of taking people over and having them experience, you know, what I had experienced that first time and seeing them become passionate about it was just huge. One of the things that I had not planned on happening was that over the next couple years after we had started working with Children's Hope Chest and sponsoring these two orphanages was that four of the kids in our one of the orphanages ended up being adopted by families at my church. And that wasn't an intent. You know, Children's Hope Chest is very much, they want to care for the kids who are not going to get adopted. And so they're not like, you know, come over, pick out a kid type of thing. And I don't recommend doing that when, you know, I don't recommend going on a mission trip for that purpose. There's other ways. If you feel led to adopt, there's other ways. 
But there was three families that felt called to adopt their kids that they sponsored. One family, two of them each adopted one, and then another family adopted two. And that was a huge turning point for me because I remember thinking back to being back in Michigan, and I first started reading and finding out that there was 137 million orphans in the world and going, there's nothing that I can do. Except you could for those four. Yeah. And not that I did any, I mean, I always, like, I didn't do that. God did that. But that's <laughs> such a humbling moment to say, I, I just I just kept reading about this, right? I just kept yeah. reading about this place. And then I found this book, and then I made the call. And here we are with these three families that are now welcoming these children into, I mean, to be used by God. Yeah, that was a huge turning point for me. And not that four is a lot of kids. It's not like I made. Well, I but that's been right. The, the opposite but, is the point. Yeah. yeah. It's everything. Yeah, and it's changed, you know, the world for those kids. Kiddos, you know, everybody, those kids get and generations to to come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that, so when that happened, um, and then during that time, also, I kind of started around town. Became known as the orphan girl. (laughs) Like people, like would from different churches would call me, and they're like, "Hey, we heard you know a lot about orphan care adoption. Like, we'd like to do something." And and then, or just even adoption in general. I had by that time as an adult, I had actually been through. it's actually with a couple families. One family that I nannied for adopted seven kids. And so I'd walked and saw the process through all of that. And so knew the process, at least the general process, the ins and outs, you know, fairly quickly and could get people started on a, on a path and also connect them with resources. Over those years, I started connecting with people um, nationally. I started going to conferences, the Christian Alliance for Orphans yearly conference, and just connecting with people who were in this space all over the U.S. and all over the world. And so I kind of just became this resource girl here in Utah to the point where I was just like, I think I'm supposed to do something full time. You know, I would be sitting at my desk at my church (laughs) and I'm supposed to be thinking about the Sunday service production. And all I can think about is these kids and how am I going to, how am I going to, you know, advocate more for these kids. So it really became clear that I'm supposed to be in this space full time. But what that thing was, I didn't really know. I'd been going to these conferences, and I would I saw things that were happening all over the U.S. for the orphan, and there wasn't anything happening in Utah that was like that. Mm-hmm. So my first thought was, well, then if I want to do something full-time, I'm probably going to have to move because there's nothing right. here in Utah. <laughs> That logic makes sense. Yeah, right? <laughs> Never did I ever think, I oh, will we'll start it. something. No, 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 no. I was like, and it's funny because I would tell friends kind of, you know, what was happening in my heart. And I would be like, can you pray for me? And probably every other person would go, well, why don't you start something since mm-hmm. there's nothing here? And I'm like, I would just look at them like, you are out of your mind. <laughs> I like, do I don't I don't start stuff. You know, I I... I just want to join an existing organization. <laughs> Thanks. So I came out and went on my merry way and, you know, started looking at different organizations throughout the U.S. and actually visited with some of them, was offered a job by one of them. But it was weird. It, it just it didn't necessarily feel like the right thing. And then I was at a conference in Nashville. And as I was flying home from that conference, I felt like – God spoke to me, you know, I'm always, I like to use that word loosely because it's not audible words, but there was something in me 
that knew that knew that said, "Why don't you start something <laughs> in Utah?" And it suddenly it made like, <laughs> "Oh, that makes total sense." You know, it was like all these people had said it, but until I heard it from and God, like, I told you, right? right. Like, I just said that. <laughs> and but it was like until I heard it from God, it didn't make sense. Of like, oh yeah, you've you brought me. I mean, never thought I was. Plant, help plant a church in, in Utah, Utah, like right. such a yeah. random place to go to. And here you've brought me here, and you've and you've developed this heart in me for orphan care and adoption. And, and there's, there's a need. And there's a need yeah. for and, someone. And, I, and God's like, and you're looking to resources. leave. Hello, <laughs> right? I want you. Yeah. I want you here. God and so an I came back um, from that trip and was all you know excited. And then, of course, when that excitement starts to wear off about mm-hmm. things, you're like, "Did I really? Was that me?" Mm-hmm. Or and you start to, you know, second yeah, you come guess down from yourself. The high of the conference, yeah. when you're like, oh, "I'm going to rule the world," right? <gasps> and you start to kind of second guess yourself, like, "Oh, I don't know if that was God or if that was just me." And um, of course, you want more confirmations. And I, I had many different confirmations, but I think the biggest one was I had learned about. Um, at, at some of these conferences that I gone to that there had been something that was started back in 2001. So it's coming up on 20, being 20 years old, mm-hmm. is Orphan Sunday. If you ever want to read an amazing story of how it started, just look that up. It, it started in a little teeny church in Zambia. So in 2001, a, f- a few different organizations came together and said, let's ask the church every year, um, the first Sunday of November, to do something that day at their church that would bring awareness to the orphan crisis. Then it became known as Orphan Sunday. And so I'd kind of learned about it and heard about it. And in and then as I was going on my journey and I'd gotten back from this conference, it was 20, 2009, I think, I learned that – I read someone's post on Facebook, a guy that I connected with and become friends with on Facebook and was part of the, this organization that put this on. He wrote, it was the day before Orphan Sunday, and he wrote on his status, we're so excited for Orphan Sunday tomorrow. We have um, events planned in churches in every state of the U.S. except for Utah. <gasps> <laughs> and there's a dig. Like, Wait, what? <laughs> it was just like, I remember oh. just, I don't get chills very often, yeah. but I remember just getting chills. And I remember sitting there going, you're well, not going to write that next year. I, I was like, yeah. well, I guess it looks like I'm starting something. <laughs> it was kind of that, like, I guess I'm doing this. So yeah. So so next year was the first year that my church then did some did an orphan Sunday, and and then other churches, you know, have since followed. But it was really kind of the nail in the coffin, so yeah. to speak, that yeah. I'm supposed to start something. Wow. That's pretty powerful. In running your ministry called for the Orphan Network, where you say this differently if I'm not saying it correctly, but coordinate resources, connect families with vulnerable children, support families, support organizations, use everything you've learned to try to inform and educate in that space, right? Because you can you can you can hurt instead of help in that Absolutely. space real, real, Absolutely. real easily and have the best yes. intentions in the world. Yep, and have this great plan, but but that can not go so well, and and have a, a tough aftermath, which involves a lot of broken hearts, right? So, how do you continue to be motivated there? Go through the difficulties of staying in this space year after year after year, 
tell us about like what life is like sort of as a local missionary. Yeah. I right. mean, that's really <laughs> what you yeah. are. We yeah. think when we think of the word missionary, right? We're like off oh, in the horizon of, you know, different countries, you know, things like that. You're yeah. a local. You decided to do local ministry, missionary kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I an entrepreneurial way. Yeah, I raise all my support to do what I do full time. So we're not a nonprofit; we're a ministry. Although we might be moving into a nonprofit, so it's one of those spaces that you're in, and it's like this for so many things. Of you could work twenty four seven and never feel like you've um, done enough. You've done, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things, and I'm and I'm not great at this, but I'm learning. Um, you know, to better take care of myself. Mm. You know, just because I can answer an email at nine o'clock at night doesn't mean that I should type of thing that I have to have, you know, some boundaries. Um, and, and the hard thing, too, is, is that because it's something that I love, that it it doesn't, you know, it's again, like just using that as an example, answering an email at nine, it's not work for me to do. Like, I'm excited right. to answer that email. Um, so that's the hard thing is because it's not just like, I always say, I would be doing this if it if I could do it for free, you know, and I'm like, if I didn't have bills to pay and stuff like that, I would <laughs> I do this. F- yeah. To eat. Yeah, yeah. I, I would do this for free yeah. type of thing. Um, so yeah. Can I, I want, I'm curious about something. You're, I mean, the boundaries on time. Yes, yes, yes. All the things about work-life balance, that sort of thing. But I, I want to know more about your boundaries, like <laughs> mentally like whole, and soulfully yeah. Yeah, right. and spiritually. Like I, yeah. I picture this as being really hard work and just really heavy work you know you went to russia for two weeks and your heart was shred to bits you know and i'm sure you see that almost every day almost every week what are those mental and emotional and soulful boundaries that help you maintain your your theology of a good god despite (laughs) despite this heavy 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 work yeah that's a good question (laughs) (laughs) and and is it also i'm going to just jump on there eric too and just do one of those things where we like throw so many things at you right unravel back (laughs) like what was the original question (laughs) right but the success quote unquote successful stories too right Mm -hmm. that that balance that out the the families the the three families that that adopted the and i'd I'd love to hear a little bit more about that as well sort of both like how do you get through and not compartmentalize right but just just yeah carry that backpack of burden that you know when god wants us to live Mm -hmm. a lighthearted, carefree life that involves trusting him but then also like just the the incredible things you get to see yeah the the extraordinary when the ordinary becomes extraordinary in somebody who says yeah i'm going to i'm going to take this step or i'm going to let myself be moved or inspired to this place of opening my home of neighboring of hospitality that i never would have thought of and i'm scared but i'm going to do it so yeah. Yeah. Anyway, hey, there's all that. Yeah. Say something in there response to that. We, just- <laughs> we have two more hours, right? <laughs> um, one of the things over, especially over the beginning years after I started for the orphan, I was very much in this space of, especially with adoption, like everybody should adopt, you know, who, right. who can and has the ability. And just as I walked in that space and started to see some different stories of, of real struggle within that context, I just, I saw a lot of painful stories. We'll just say that. 
And so I knew that there was a huge need for education in this area mm-hmm. that, um, mm-hmm. you know, so many people go into adoption or foster care because obviously they want to help and yeah, they have a bleeding heart bit, and, yeah. but they kind of have a rosy idea of what yeah. it's going to be like. Like, sure. I'm just going to love this child and everything is going to be fine. And, um, and so I, I really developed this heart of people really need to become educated in, mm-hmm. um, especially in trauma. Mm-hmm. And so that yeah. became a huge passion of what I do. Um, and because it became a, f- a focus, when you jump into trauma, trauma is super heavy, yeah. <laughs> right? And the things that these kids have gone through. Um, I remember one of the first times I really felt it. I was, again, God, God does stuff at conferences. <laughs> I was at a conference for it, it, this space. It was a small conference, this Orphan Care Conference. And I can't remember the specific story that I heard, but it, it was just one of those w- conferences where I was just hearing over and over again the really hard. And I just remember going into the women's bathroom and sitting, you know, down, down <laughs> <laughs> so to speak, and just like sobbing mm. and just thinking, I can't, you know, I don't, how do I do this? Mm. How do I be in this space? And honestly, a huge part is being connected with other people who are doing this work. Again, it's a hard space to be in and it's, you know, being an adoptive parent is hard. And that's why I think it's really good for them to adopt, to connect with other adoptive parents, but just being able to, yeah, to be able to talk with and consistently be, um, um, you know, rubbing shoulders yeah. with people who are who doing understand. this. Yeah, right. that's a huge part you know, of who can not just sympathize, but sort of empathize. Who right. really yes. understand how you feel? Yes, because they they feel the same way too. That's why it felt so good to talk <laughs> right. to John Davis. Yes, you know, or it feels yeah. good to go to the conferences. Yeah, is like I'm among like minded people who share and they get it. Right. Yeah. yeah, and one of the things going back to that James one twenty seven verse when we kind of summarize it. You know, we're like, oh well, James one twenty seven tells us to you know care for orphans and widows, and we forget the rest of it. And part of it is it says we care for orphans and widows in their distress. And I think as you know, I'm sure it's not just Americans, but um, as humans, we think you know when we come into the space that we're going to do something and we're going to rescue kids out of their distress. Um, or families out of their distress. And it says, we care for orphans and widows in their distress. So it means I I enter into their pain and their suffering. And I say, I'm going to journey with you in this for as long as it takes. I'm not going to come in and rescue you out. And the, and the journey could be a lifetime. But that was a huge, you know, when you look at James 127, that context of we care, we care in their distress. Right. Um, That's an interesting that shift. That is such like, an interesting shift. You don't have to carry it all. You're just helping yeah, them but to you carry have to, it. In, but you have yeah. to be willing to enter into right. it and knowing right. that it's it's a space that is, it is painful to be in and the stories yeah. that you hear um, and the life change that you don't see happen that you wish you could mm-hmm. see happen or wondering why God, you know, again, it, my relationship with God is interesting, <laughs> having jumped into this, this space because of the incredible injustice you see and, this again, the stories you see of where there isn't, what at least what appears to you, there isn't a hopeful outcome mm-hmm. or things like mm-hmm. that. And you're like, God, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, Why not? what? what is up? 
Um, and even like, you know, I would think, okay, God, it says you, it says you will be a father to the fatherless and you will care for them. But there's all these kids and right. you're not caring for them, you know, like it, yeah. in my eyes. And so I kind of have a, you know, a, a battle, mm-hmm. <laughs> an ongoing battle with God. But it's it's good because it's it's causing me to enter more into under trying to understand God's heart and where mm-hmm. He comes from, and and to continue to pursue Him. Yeah. Um, because if I take my eyes off of Him, mm-hmm. I I couldn't do this yeah. at all. Yeah. I want to make two points. I I love everything that you're talking about. One is just a quick reminder of this visual I recently was was shown where there was this ball of yarn and it was completely all tangled up. And the teacher of this who was talking about self-compassion put the ball of yarn down and then put this and and said, "We want it to look like this." And then brought out another ball of yarn completely all beautifully, you know, kind of wrapped up. Like we just want to go from this to this. And sometimes, in particularly in your case, we can't do that. But she took this cutout heart out of a piece of cardboard and set it down next to the tangle and put it on top of the tangle and kind of set it with the tangle and said, that's sometimes what we can do. We can just bring our love and bring our care right next to the tangle and say, we don't know how to untangle this completely. We don't know how to get from the big tangle to completely untangled. But we're going to enter in to the tangle. Just sit here with some love. And the second thing that I wanted to say was just this idea that you are articulating of seeking to understand. What seeking to understand God in this, and also seeking to understand the people in it. That you going into it with the heart of, I just want to fix this problem. And get this child here. And here's how, here's what I think the solution is. Versus trying to understand the pieces none of which are necessarily solvable immediately, just like trauma, right? That is, talk about a tangle. Um, And having that heart to just say, I'm just going to sit with you in this and process and grieve and mourn and, and, and come alongside is enough. But that's hard to do. Because we, as humans, want to help solve this problem because it hurts to feel those hard feelings. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because for a, a while in, in my journey, I used to think, um, like, maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this because I just can't, like, I cry all the time <laughs> and I'm so heartbroken. Like, I think stronger people need to be doing this. And again, this Which cracks- is, of course, the exact opposite. Right. <laughs> and again, this cracks me up because. I was at a conference. Right. <laughs> it was actually the very first Christian Alliance for Orphans conference that I went to in 2008. Mm. And Kay Warren, um, mm. Rick Warren's wife, mm-hmm. was one of the keynote speakers. She was really involved in orphan care, HIV. She's kind of moved into the mental health area. Um, but she got up to speak. And she said, I think her opening line was something like, there's 137 million orphans in the world. What is the church going to do about it? And she started to cry. And I just, you know, my heart completely connected with her because, you know, that when you hear stuff like that or whatever, like the, the, the response, like a normal response is that. And so going back to, you know, I was like, I can't do this because I'm so emotional about it or I'm so broken mm-hmm. about it. It was like, mm-hmm. I was like, no, I need you That's to exactly be right. broken about yeah. it. Yeah. Get comfortable in yeah. that space inside yourself. To exactly. Be- 
frustrated and pain and in pain and all the feelings and all the emotions are are understandable and important to be able to keep that passion up to do the work well. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think, you know, they hear orphan care ministry or whatever, and it's just this happy, happy, joy, joy, you know, type of thing. And it has incredible moments that are like that. But for the most part, it's a pretty heartbreaking space to to work in. But again, Mm. I've experienced more of God Mm. and who he is and his heart being in the space than I could have, I think, in any other space. You know, we as, as believers, we sing that song, you know, break your heart for the things that break, break my yours. heart for break the things yours. Things do we really, you yours. know, but do we really mean it? Yeah. <laughs> right type of thing? Because this, yeah. you know, this definitely breaks my heart. And and again, um, not even close to what how it breaks God's heart. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. I just get a little taste of it. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's a gift. Yeah. yeah. What a gift. It's a gift to be able to. Yeah. Get a taste of that. Absolutely. I always say, I'm like, I feel sorry for people who aren't in the space mm-hmm. because it mainly, mainly because of, again, of getting to experience the heart of God in a way that I've never experienced mm-hmm. it before. Mm-hmm. And I've heard people talk about with adoption. Um, you know, we, we're, you know, God uses that term for us that we are adopted yeah. into his family. Yeah. And I've heard people who have adopted say, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't really understand. Mm-hmm. Adoption, God's heart, and adopting us in the gospel until someone placed this child into my arms. Mm-hmm. So, stepping into this space, you are stepping into mm-hmm. right into the middle of what God cares about the most. I've heard that saying of how horizontal adoption mm-hmm. helps us understand our vertical adoption. Yeah, and so many parallels. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, is there a just as we we close here? Is there a story that you might have, uh, that you might want to share? When people always ask me how did you get into the space, I never share the story. I never share this part of my life at the beginning because people automatically go, "Oh, that's why you got into it." I always kind of share it at the end. But my dad was adopted. My dad um, was the youngest of six kids. And all they all went into foster care. And um, he was the only one out of the six that ended up getting adopted. And he was adopted by a woman, my grandmother, who was a single woman foster parent. And she had had over 100 kids in her lifetime. And my dad and another little boy were the only two that she had ever adopted. And so it's for me, it's been amazing to see how it's come so full circle. But, and like I said, I never, my dad never talked about being adopted. You know, it just wasn't something he talked about it. I knew it, but I never really thought about it a lot. And I never had any conversations with him about it. He died, he passed away whenever I was 11. Um, And so I never really got to have those types of conversations. So honestly, it was never, it never consciously was any part of, going into this area, but it's been really amazing to see how God has brought it full circle and, and gone, this has always been a part of your life and your legacy and who I've called you to be. So powerful. Amen. Amy. Yes. Amy. <laughs> yes. Amen. Amy. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. For thank, thank you. Two episodes worth of wonderful, yeah. wonderful things. Yeah. Inspiring and motivating and just humbling about the reminder of each of our lives and and 
how God just so uniquely can speak to us and so generally and yet so specifically and just asks us to stay connected to him, to hear where he wants us to move and how he wants us to move and to stay connected to each other, to be encouraged in what we're hearing and how we're responding to it and to and to keep going and to keep going expectantly yeah. about all the pretty bows he he ties together not be not perfectly right not with, with all these yeah with tangled yeah. yarns he's he's <laughs> yeah. he's yeah. he's tying it all together and so thank you for an amazing couple of conversations yeah. Amy. thank you for having me yeah god bless you as you continue your work thank you Thank you again for listening. There is a rabbit hole's There's worth. There's always a rabbit hole. There's rabbit there, holes Eric? worth of information. A lot of rabbit holes. We're like, hop down, hop, hop, hop. <laughs> totally. Rabbit holes worth of information that you can dig up on vulnerable children and the resources to help this population. Um, and we're going to drop a bunch of those links for you to peruse in the show notes and online at capitalstories.com. Um, and also, Amy was gracious enough and wanted to share her email address with anyone out there who might have a shared passion in this area. So, if this episode for you was kind of like Tom Davis's book on the shelf for Amy, <laughs> yes. go ahead and you know drop her a note at amyking12 at gmail.com. She'd love to hear from you. And she connect. would. She and really that's, would. That has ha- I have reached out to yeah. amyking12 at gmail.com. <laughs> and said, hey, and that let's started talk. a series of, of events that has just been incredible for me in my in my walk with God yeah. and understanding what he wants for my life. So I would say, even if it's not in the area of vulnerable children, she's an incredible person to talk to yeah. about saying, God keeps breaking my heart for this thing. How do I take a next step toward answering whatever call that might look like on my Even life? if the next step is not going to Eastern Europe with Amy King? Right. Who knows? It, it's it's something. She's a good person to talk it out with. Yeah. Thank you for listening and we will see you Thanks. next time.